The Tom Woods Show, episode 1505. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, my away carry-on is everything I look for in a suitcase. It's lightweight, strong. It's got a really smooth glide through the airport. It's got a built-in combination lock a compression system for overpackers like me, and a laundry bag to boot. Get $20 off a suitcase when you go to awaytravel.com slash woods and use promo code woods during checkout. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here. Dave Smith Week continues with an episode on what else? Comedy. And not comedy and libertarianism or anything like that, but just comedy as an interesting topic of discussion. And I just want to get kind of an insider's feel from the point of view of somebody who's been doing stand-up comedy for a long time, who knows a lot of stand-up comedians, who's part of that community, in the same way that we had another libertarian several weeks ago on Doc Dixon, who happened to be a magician, who happened to be on Penn & Teller's Fool Us television program, and who succeeded in fooling Penn & Teller with one of his tricks. So I had him on, and as I say, even though he's a libertarian too, I thought, well, I... God, I just want to talk to him about magic. Once in a while, I just want to talk about topics that are really interesting to me. And I don't see how comedy is uninteresting. It's, it, I think it's very interesting the way a comedian is up there doing a stand-up routine and it seems to be flowing so spontaneously and yet there's a, there's a method to it and I couldn't be more fascinated by it. So Dave, welcome back. Hey, Tom. Good to be with you. All right, we're talking comedy today. You know a little something about that. A little bit. We talked about your background but in, in a couple episodes ago, but just refresh our memory. How long has it been since you've been doing stand-up comedy, and how long has it been since you feel like you've kind of gotten good at it? Um, well, I, I've been doing comedy for about 12 years now, and I've, you know, I think I was good for the stage that I was in just about all the way through but actually good at comedy, it's probably been about four or five years. Okay, okay. Now, sometimes people want to reduce things to formulas. Like they'll ask a musician, how do you write a song? And they think that there maybe there is some, they think first of all of, of music as being something mathematical and that there's a science to it or something. But that's not at all how musicians are inspired. And so likewise, I don't want to ask you, how do you write a joke? Like you sit down <laughs> and there's some formula that you follow. But at the same time, there must be something that when you read something in, in current events makes you say, all right, I don't know what the bit is going to be, but I can make a bit out of this. And I'm just wondering, is there some commonality among all these sorts of things that you recognize them as being potentially the root of a joke? Well, there's much like I'd imagine with musicians, I know with comedians, lots of people have like very different, uh, like a different process than the next comedian. I mean, there's, there's people who do it, you know, like I go to the park with a notebook and there's people who do like all these different things. I've never, I'll kind of just something will pop in my head, like a funny line or a funny idea. And I go like, okay, I think there's something there. And then I like to play with it on stage. That's almost always how I come up with things. And then after a few weeks of playing with it on stage, I'll, I'll usually come up with something else or another tag to it. And then I kind of slowly build these bigger chunks. And before you know it, it's just like a bit. What I used to like about the early episodes of Owen Benjamin's podcast, Why Didn't They Laugh? Did you ever hear those early episodes? Oh, yeah. So what he would do is he'd take a joke and it would be a joke that kind of bombs or just doesn't get the response he wants. 
And so then he starts taking it apart, trying to figure – because he's convinced there's something here. Like this this should get a laugh. So what's going wrong? So then he'll tweak it a little bit, and you'll you'll hear a recording of him doing it in another comedy club. It gets a little bit bigger laugh, and then he analyzes what the difference was, and then he keeps refining it until it absolutely kills. And the, to, to be able to get a peek into that process, I found absolutely fascinating. Now, are you doing the same thing with some of your – like where you say, look, these SOBs should be laughing. What's wrong here? I'm gonna I'm gonna work on this thing until I just have to surrender or something. Well, I it's my process is not exactly the same as Owen. I love that guy, but he's a he's a psycho. He's he's like so meticulous with the way he develops his material. Um, but I certainly can relate to that feeling of like where you're like I think there's something funny here, and it's just not going over. And sometimes you have to give up on those ones. I mean, sometimes after a while, if you're like this just isn't really getting a laugh, you got to go like okay, well I'm you know. I guess that's it for this one. And sometimes you'll kind of like put it on the bench and then a few months later bring it out again and then you'll figure it out. I've had experiences before where there's a joke that I think is really funny that's just not working. And one day randomly on stage, I just find a different word or a little bit different way to put it. And all of a sudden you get this big pop of laughter. And there's something there's something about that experience that's always interesting where you're like, oh, OK, so that was the difference. Comedy is this weird art form where sometimes the exact same thought, but just slightly tweaking the delivery of it can make all the difference in the world. And so it's the, the art of stand-up comedy. It's not just about being funny. It's about how you draw laughter somewhat forcibly out of a group of people, how you make them all laugh together. And it's not just about saying a funny idea. It's, it's about the, fitting it into this rhythm where it pops at the end. It's kind of hard to exactly describe, but it's like it's got it's got to fit this formula. It's got to pop in a way that now you know you have to laugh at the end of it. Is there in your comedy a line you won't cross in terms of subject matter, material? I mean, I know how you feel about self-censorship and and about the the hectoring culture that we have. You're not supposed to laugh at this or you're not supposed to make a joke about that. But just you personally, not a rule that you'd want to impose on anybody, of course, but you personally, your own style, is. are there places you won't go? Well, the places that I don't want to, I mean, the short answer is no. I mean, if there's something that I think is really funny, then I'm going to go there. I mean, because I think it's really funny. So that's what this is about. And I've always been somebody who loves really offensive comedy. I mean, always. Like I just, even like the, you know, like, a, um, like the great David Gordon he loves to tell you like the most offensive joke ever. Like I've always been like that. I love that stuff. I love really edgy jokes. I like really playing with tragedy and comedy so that, but there are certainly places that I don't want to go, but it's a, a totally different direction. Like what I, what makes me cringe and feel bad about my, my standup. And I've, I've done this, you know, several times before it's been years, but where I would say something that I don't really believe and it gets a big laugh. I kind of, and, and I don't mean literally, I don't believe it. I mean, the point of the joke is something I don't actually believe, or I'd say something that's kind of pandering that gets a big laugh and that, oof, that'll literally, it makes it hard for me to sleep at night. So that's the stuff that I try to, to self-censor. I think about being a historian and I know people think that there's this kind of secret training you get to be a historian. And that's what makes it possible for me to write history books that, and, and the average person couldn't. And I think that's a whole lot of BS. And I've been through two elite 
programs in history. And I just, right. sorry, I don't buy it. Anybody can do this. I mean, okay, for 10 minutes, I'll explain to you how to go through somebody's private papers and what to look for and stuff. But I mean, otherwise, anybody can do this, I, I really believe. Um, you know, but I suppose if you read a lot of history and you're just immersed in it, you're going to execute it better. Well, so, and likewise, I think there are people in a lot of fields where we have this feeling that there's some secret knowledge they have that makes it possible for them to do it, but we couldn't. In history, I just don't think that's the case. But in comedy, I think there kind of is, but I don't think it's something that you, you don't learn it in a, in school and nobody sits you down and says, here are the seven principles of a good joke. Take notes and write them down and implement them. I don't think there's anything like that. But I still do feel like, even though it may not be something you might be able to articulate, there is something in effect you know that we don't. There's There's an instinct or some knowledge bank you have that allows you to craft a joke in a way that if I were to do it, it just wouldn't be as good. It wouldn't work. So can you try and help us? I mean, that's my very roundabout way of asking you this dumb question of how do you write a joke? Because I know I realize that there isn't any one way, but there's still there are instincts and approaches and there must be like best practices and whatever. I mean, and you must watch a lot of stand up people and, and see, I see what he's doing there. Or wow, that was a really good transition he made to that next joke and so on. Sure. Well, it's like the the way you structure a joke and the way you layer it. Like I'll enjoy watching really high level comedians like you're like, oh man, that was really good the way he put that all together. But honestly, I do think it's really, I mean, it, it's a mix of two things. It's an instinct or a, a gene, not, I don't mean that literally in the biological sense, but it's kind of, you have this thing. And then it's about getting on stage a lot doing it over and over and over again and kind of honing it. But I've had so many times, I can't even explain how many times I've had where I've thought about an idea for a joke and I just don't know exactly how to deliver it. And then I get on stage and the delivery just kind of comes. And it's in that moment when you're in front of people that it's like, it just, you kind of get into the moment, into this zone. And then the, the, the way to deliver it just comes out because you know I need to draw this laughter out of people. And that to me is something that I, I can't exactly describe. It's just kind of like I I think there's some natural instinct to this that I kind of just have and I can do that in that situation. And then there's lots of people I, I know who are very, very funny human beings who just would not be good stand-up comedians. It doesn't matter how funny they are in conversation. There's a certain thing that they don't have. Well, there's a lot that's demanded of you as a stand-up comedian. And one of them, on a very basic level, frankly, is memory. You watch these people do these long sets. I don't see teleprompters anywhere. I'm sure no, you're not using them. Now, some no. of it is it would be like me giving a speech on the Fed. You know, like after a while, I've given a lot of speeches on the Fed. and Or when I used to teach college, I used to have the same section several times a week and I would teach the same material. So by the third one, plus I've been doing it for years, you know, I'm rattling off stuff off the top of my head. These <laughs> kids can't believe how much I know. So to some degree it's that, but I don't think it's just that. And and it's also this ease of transitioning from one topic to another. And there are some, I love watching how they do that because I know, oh, okay, okay, we're done. It sounds like we're still on this same line of joke, but no, we've now moved to another topic. Some are much, much better and smoother at accomplishing that than others. But there's stuff like that that you have to do. And I've, I think I've asked you once before, was there ever a time when you just 
flat out forgot what you were going to say. And now you're just stuck up there and the lights are on you. Uh, yes, absolutely. There's been times when I've forgotten uh, what I was going to say or what ne- next joke that I wanted to be in my, uh, in my younger, my earlier days in comedy, Tom, when I was a, a young man, there might've been some, uh, some, some light substances involved that probably didn't help that situation at all. But, uh, that's, that's not the case anymore. Uh, I'm a husband and father now, so that's, that's all in the past. But, um, but that, you know, there's definitely been times I've forgotten that, but you know, a lot of comedy is kind of smoke and mirrors. And a lot of it is almost presented in this way where it comes off more impressive than it is. I mean, look, just by the very nature of stand-up comedy, you kind of present these things like it's off the top of your head when it's not, it's things that you've thought about and worked out. And, 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 you know, it's like, it's like if there's really nothing that impressive to remembering all of the jokes. I mean, in the same way that if you saw a musician and you, you might, you know, see them do an hour and a half show and be like, Oh man, they remember all the words and notes to their song. But then if you just think it through, like how many songs do you know all the words to, we all know the, all the words to lots of different songs. Your brain is capable of memorizing a lot more things than you think it is. And when it's a joke that you wrote, that you crafted, you just kind of memorize the rhythm and the cadence of it. Like it's, that's, it's, it's almost second nature. It's kind of like, do you remember Tom? Cause me and you are both like the younger people who listen to the show may not be able to go back this far, but do you remember like before you had all the numbers in a cell phone, you remember how many phone numbers you could remember? Oh, yeah, true. You know, like I use it now, if you explain that to somebody who has a cell phone, you'd be like, what? Like, do you, you can memorize numbers that seems next to impossible. It's like, no, no, it's actually not even that hard when you just didn't have them all there. You just memorize all these different numbers because that's the, you have to, otherwise you can't call people. I mean, I just, the other day, uh, like was struggling to remember my wife's phone number. It's how pathetic we all get with these cell phones here. You're like, wait a minute, is it a three, one or a one three? I don't, but I remember when I was, when I was 10 years old, I knew like everybody in school's number. You just had them all memorized by heart. Um, and so it's the, the, the memory thing is just once you, you kind of put a lot into it and it becomes real easy. I mean, think about it from the musician perspective. If you know all the words to a song that you just love, think about the guy who actually wrote that song, probably pretty easy for him to remember all the words to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'll concede you're not as impressive as I thought you were five <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> all right. Um, I want to ask you about your, your all time favorites and why they're your favorites. We'll do that in just a minute. Well, I guess it's safe to say that the most memorable line I've come up with in support of any of the sponsors of the Tom Woods Show is calling myself king of the airport with my away carry-on. I'm actually in London this week, and you better believe I've got that away carry-on with me. It's lightweight, so it's easy to carry up and down stairs. It's durable, so it can take a beating. The built-in compression pad helps you pack more in. Your wheels won't get stuck because these four 360-degree spinner wheels must be the smoothest things I've ever seen. Plus so many other benefits besides. And if anything ever happens to your luggage, they'll fix or replace it. I myself have two away carry-ons, and I've bought two or three as gifts for others because they are such a perfect gift. Plus they give you a 100-day trial that lets you try any away product on the road. So what have you got to lose? And because you're a friend of Woods, I'll give you a special deal. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash Woods and use promo code Woods during checkout. That's $20 off a suitcase when you visit awaytravel.com slash Woods and use promo code Woods during checkout. All right, not long ago, Dave, you came on and we talked about the Dave Chappelle special that everybody was talking about. And you said that, in your opinion, he was absolutely up there with the all-time greats of comedy. I'd like to know, let's say... Let's say we had to do a Mount Rushmore of comedy for you. So four 
people, who would you choose to be on the Dave Smith Mount Rushmore? And then for Ooh. each one of them, I want to know what makes that person so good. Well, oh man, that's tough. That's tough to just do four. But also, we're limiting it to stand-up comedy because if you're just saying comedy in general, yeah, I, I mean, mean stand-up comedy. Okay, because yes. just to say, I mean, Chris Farley is the funniest human being who's ever existed, in in my opinion, but not a stand-up at all. I um, was just showing a good friend uh, an old episode of the Chris Farley Show, his sketch oh. from Saturday Night Live, where he's interviewing Paul McCartney. Oh my god, it's, it's so great! <laughs> it's so great. All right, so go ahead. Everything that guy did was just so, so great. Um, and I mean, there's so, you know, look, I would, if I have to do a Mount Rushmore, I would probably say Pryor and Carlin are the ones who have to be on there because what they, they really revolutionized stand-up comedy. To me, they're like the ones who almost invented what modern stand-up comedy is. I mean, you could go, you know, if you go to like the generation before them, if you go to like Lenny Bruce or something like that, it's like, it's not really what stand-up comedy is. Pryor and Carlin are the ones who invented this. They were both just groundbreaking, super edgy, a lot of political commentary and all that, but would be funny with it. Like really never sacrificed funny in order to make a comment on society or whatever area they wanted to go into. After that, I probably, I would say Dave Chappelle. I thought Killing Him Softly and For What It's Worth were two of the greatest comedy specials that were ever made. What that guy was able to do with his jokes was just it, – it was unlike anything I had ever seen uh, from anyone else. And then the fourth spot, hmm, you know, I'll probably – I'll give it to Chris Rock. Um, if you go watch uh, Bigger and Blacker, Bring the Pain, those those early specials that he put out there, I just thought there was like, man – they were just so perfect. And to me, it's like the, all, all of those guys, what I love about it, it's like, it's like what South Park at its best is, right? Like if you watch that show where you can do this thing where you're just, you're, you're grabbing your sides laughing. And at the same time, you're like, that is so true. And it was like the best breakdown of what's relevant and going on in society right now. But, but it's not doing that. It's not being preachy or, or like sacrificing funny, or I'm moving over here into this serious area. It's just, it's just punching you in the stomach with laughter while you're going like, yes, you just broke it down perfectly. Whatever that thing is. I just love that. Now, not to say that you copy anybody because musicians, the best ones don't copy people, but certainly they're influenced by them. And I wonder, are there any of these or any other stand-up comedians you feel influenced by or that you watch and you say, I want to do something like that. I want to pull something like that off the way he just did. Well, I certainly all those guys I just named. And then there were a lot of guys who were like the best working comics as I was coming up, like guys I actually worked with a lot. So the guys who, you know, like I borrow a little something from a lot of those different guys and, and took influence from, uh, Dave Attell, Patrice O'Neill, uh, Jay Okerson, Kurt Metzger, Nate Bargatze. All of those guys had like a big, a big effect on me. I used to watch those guys all the time and really kind of like, you know, you start to figure when you have an idea for a joke, at first, like your first few years in comedy, you're just like, well, how would this guy deliver it? Or how would this guy present it? And then you, what happens to most comedians certainly happened to me is in your first few years, you're kind of delivering the jokes like someone else. I think it's very similar with writing. You kind of write like 
you're like, okay, well, what would this great writer, how would he put this? And then after a while, you kind of just, your, your own voice that you had beforehand starts to kind of shine through. And then, and then you kind of, you know, get rid of other people's cadence. I want to ask you a little bit about your actual career as a stand-up comedian in New York. I mean, obviously you're able to make a go of your podcast. Your podcast is, is very successful and you do generate revenue from it. And I, you know, there's no one on earth happier about that than I am other than you and your family. But you <laughs> yes, also, we're pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, sure. But you also are a stand-up comedian. And to some extent, you've kept that separate from your libertarian side because you're not always going to have libertarian audiences. So you, you have to adjust what you, you know, your work accordingly. So for that reason, I find it hard to find out where you're going to be because you don't go out of your way to tell like libertarians i'm going to be so and so because partly because you want to test out material frankly on well, normal yeah. people right well, and if we right. stack the deck you're not going to know what's really funny or what just tickles us because we're libertarians but i'd like to know about your life as a stand-up comedian like how often are you in clubs and do you go there and test out material like I, like i've heard jerry seinfeld does stuff like that Oh yeah, no, I absolutely do. And I don't, I don't promote those gigs at all because I just, I, like you said, it's like, I don't want my fans to come see me as I'm working out the new kinks. I want them to see the hour when it's ready. And it's, it's, you know what I mean? And I'm like, this is my finished piece. And so that's, that's kind of why I just when Now I do less stand up now than I've ever done in, in the 12 years since I've been doing stand-up comedy. And, and part of that is because I do, I make my living off the podcast revenue and, and other things that TV stuff and stuff like that. And part of it is just because, you know, I had a kid this last year and I, you know, I just don't like being out every night as much as I used to. I did for the first, uh, nine, 10 years of my stand-up comedy career, I was out every single night, literally did not take a night off. I mean, maybe like one here or there, but I was out every single night getting up somewhere with some, some crummy basement show with six people, something. And that I do credit to how I developed into the stand-up comic I am today. And that's why I can go on stage and make things funny and put things into the language of comedy. Um, now I'll go, I'll, I'll do you know, three, four sets a week, something like that. I just try to work out the new material I have, try to figure it out and different places around the city. Uh, the stand comedy club is probably my favorite. Um, but I, there, there's a few different rooms that I like a lot. Um, and I go to like, you know, I'll do stand up at like the Soho forum for libertarians, but that's when, when you have a room full of libertarians, what's fun for me about that is that I can, you know, I can go into different areas that the mainstream people, the normies may not get, you know, I, I can make jokes about certain things that they wouldn't, un, they wouldn't know what I'm talking about. But to me, I never, like, I am a libertarian and I am a comedian, but I never try to be a libertarian comedian. I just want to be a really hilarious comedian who is a libertarian. And of course, a lot of my views bleed into my comedy and I talk about politics a lot because I'm, you know, fairly obsessed with, with that topic. But I've always, and I think if you, if you watch my, my hour special, it's not like, this is a special that libertarians can get into. I think you could look at it and just be like, oh, this is a really funny comedy special. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's always what I want to put out. And and I think that should, by the way, I think that should be the goal for any artist who's a libertarian. Make something great, you know what I mean? Or or strive to make something great. Don't make it just be this niche thing. And uh, and, and that's what I that's what I always try to do. 
How does it work? Do, do these clubs invite you to do it or just have an ongoing relationship with them? Yeah, well, you kind of like after a while you get passed at a club is what they call it. So there's like these showcase clubs in New York that'll have, you know, anywhere from six to 12 comedians on on a show. And once you're passed there, you can just kind of send in your avails to them and then they'll book you, you know, when when they want to or when you're available or whatever. So it's just relationships you build over years. And it's very hard to get into the clubs at first. It took me years and years to get into any of the good clubs in New York because um, there's a lot of there's a lot of comedians. There's a lot of people competing for those slots. But uh, yeah, at this point, it's just kind of relationships I have. And once you have, you know, once you've made a little bit of a name for yourself, you have some TV credits, you have an audience, it, you know, it becomes a lot easier to get in. So what advice, um, this is the other kind of cliched question, would you give to a young person who's interested in following in Dave Smith's footsteps? Uh, get out. Don't do it. I don't need the competition. <laughs> okay. This is my space. I got here <laughs> well, first. Well, let's say, let's say they're just, uh, they don't even want to be, I mean, by the way, when it comes to libertarians, I mean, it's you, Andrew Heaton and one or two other people. So that it is a it's small true. group and I, I, yeah, I wouldn't want anyone likes. elbowing in on that action either, but in just in the overall stand up world, uh, you know, no, regardless of where they're coming from. You, I, well, I would just say to, um, if you're getting into stand-up comedy, my advice to you would be number one, you go, you got to really want to do this. You got to really love it. And you got to really be willing to sacrifice for years, uh, to do it. And if you, if you're not certain of all three of those things, do something else with your life because you're just going to end up wasting time on this and, and then doing something else with your life anyway. I, and honestly, this is the advice that I give to all, all, you know, young comedians, especially someone just starting out, you got to just get up on stage a ton. And, you know, I know that sounds kind of, you know, useless and and kind of generic, but that's really it. You got to get on stage, get on stage, get on stage, immerse yourself in the comedy world, hang out with other comedians, go watch uh, other, you know, watch working comedians, watch failing comedians, go to open mics, go to all of them. And then after a while, you will figure out what you want to be in this world. Now, once you're years into comedy, there's different little, you know, technical pieces of advice I could give to somebody. Oh, you know, you know, stay away from this manager, maybe talk to this agent, audition for this club. But at the very beginning, it's as simple as first off, take a look in the mirror, make sure this is really what you want to do, because it requires a lot, a lot of sacrifice for almost everybody. Very few people just end up, you know, getting stuff right away. So make sure you really want to do that. And then you got to just dive in. Being a comedian, Jerry Seinfeld had this great thing that he said about being a comedian. And he goes, being a comedian is like a, being a pirate. Is what, he said, uh, you know, the first day you're a pirate, you're a pirate. There's no like warm up program. It's not like if you want to be a surgeon, day one isn't go perform surgery. You know, it's like there's a whole bunch of studying. There's a process. There's going to school. There's all this stuff. There's watching other people. Then eventually, at some point, you're going to do surgery. But stand up comedy, it's like day one, you're a comedian. Get in front of a crowd. Make them laugh. It's something you really just have to dive into. Well, that sounds like good advice to me. That sounds like good advice to me. And I'm glad that it's worked out because I'm quite sure, as with anything, there are a lot of people who give it their best shot and they decide they've got to just go do something else. And you've been able to, for 12 years now, do something you love to do, be successful at it. Then you have a podcast, which, by the way, having a profitable podcast is even more difficult than being a successful stand-up comedian. I mean, really, people podcast because they love doing it, not because they want to be millionaires. And you've been able to do that, too. I mean, that's these are not small achievements, especially for a guy, you know, a youngster such as yourself. So, you know, 
congratulations on your good fortune. Well, thank you very much. And I, I really am quite fortunate in, in many ways. Um, and, and I'm well aware of that, um, that, uh, you know, like first and foremost, you know, I have, I have a really great wife and daughter who are both like amazing and healthy and happy and beautiful. And, and the fact that I, I get to, you know, I can support my family doing what I love to do that I'm in, in, uh, you know, it's with all the stuff we talk about, the cancel culture and the crazy political climate. And, you know, I'm in a space where I just basically can say what I want to say, do what I want to do. I'm able to support my family off that. So I, I really am very grateful. It's, everything worked out. It did require a lot of sacrifice. I mean, it, it wasn't easy. There was there was about nine years of doing stand-up before anything started to pay off for me, like before anything was coming together wow. at all. And, and some of those years were very dark and very, very challenging. And I had a lot of fear in, in many of those years that I was like, man, this really might not be working out well. I remember, Tom, I mean, there was a time, uh, say, how long ago was this? This must be in like 2009, 2010. So, you know, this is like nine years ago. And I was like, you know, I've been doing comedy for years already at this point, like maybe three, four, five years into comedy, like those, those years. And I'm like, nothing was paying off. I'm making like next to no money. I was falling behind on bills. I was, you know, going through like different terrible day jobs that I had to have. And it was just really rough. And then I'm sitting there like, you know, reading Murray Rothbard till four in the morning, like just obsessed with libertarianism. And I remember at a certain point thinking to myself, like, what am I doing with my life? This is ridiculous. I'm, I'm like obsessed with Austrian economics. This is information I do not need to know that is not benefiting <laughs> me in any way. And I'm like spending all of this time and effort in this, in this, in this comedy career and nothing's paying off. And it was very scary. And I, yeah. I, you know, there were times where I was like, man, I gotta like go get a job. I gotta do something. And, um, I, I, when I look back at it now, it's really, it's, it, it is kind of remarkable to me. I'm like, wow, that all really came together. And yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. Even that you, you, you may have thought, well, look, when I do get things together, uh, you know, the Austrian economics isn't going to be helpful, but I'll, you know, yeah. I'll have a happier life. And yet it turns out it all helped. <laughs> yeah. It all kind of like yeah. synergized into one thing. It's, it's really, I, even as I'm saying it now to you, it's like, wow, that is, it is kind of strange and, and wonderful. Well, I just had somebody the other day who has just gotten to know you a bit uh, call me up and say, is this Dave Smith the real thing? Because everything I hear out of his mouth, I agree with and I love this guy, but <laughs> I just need to know, is he for real? Like, what is this? You know, and I said, oh, yeah, look, he's as sincere and great as you would think he would be. So anyway, when we're done, I'll tell you who that was. But uh Anyway, Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, lower your expectations, but, <laughs> but but it's still, you know, it's somebody of, you know, not not totally insignificant. All right, we still have more Dave Smith week to come. So uh, we'll be seeing Dave again uh, very shortly. But remember, the podcast is part of the problem, of which you can listen to on Gas Digital Network. I'll link to it at tomwoods.com slash 1505. And uh, we'll have Dave's comedy special, uh, Libertas, uh, linked there also. So make sure and do both of those things. Get the special and listen to part of the problem. Thanks, Dave. Thank you so much, Tom. All right, folks, before we depart for today, in my continuing efforts to supply people with educational resources, not just in libertarianism, but also in how to build an online audience and maybe even build a little business for yourself, I've got a video series on YouTube Live and how to do it and the the tech aspects, the equipment you need, and how to do it, how to publicize your live events, and 
how you use it to build an audience. And you can monetize it very easily using the Super Chat feature. And the real trailblazer here among libertarians, even though he doesn't use that term for himself, is Michael Malice. His live streams do very well on YouTube. And you don't have to have a million people watching for it to do pretty well for you, frankly, financially. So anyway, the, the nuts and bolts of how to do it are in a free video series I've assembled for you. And you can grab that at TomWoods.com slash YouTube Live. That's TomWoods.com slash YouTube Live. Cost you nothing, but maybe it'll help you. Thanks so much, everybody. See you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.